Grab up a Bible. Uh, there should be one in the seat in front of you, or I don't know, hopefully one on your phone. Uh, open up to Acts chapter 14. Uh, I, I'm an a expository preacher, which means I just like take a book of the Bible and preach all the way through it. Uh, and so we are towards the last part of the book of Acts. We've been preaching. Uh, I've been preaching through this. We've been studying through it for uh, a number of months. Uh, the first part's relatively easy. Like the first part's all about these cool things that God is doing as the church is first established, uh, day of Pentecost and uh, all those uh, cool things. And the second part of the book is really more about Paul and his missionary journeys and the places that he goes and the and the things that he's done. And, and I've never really done an in-depth study of the missionary journeys of Paul. Like for school, I've had to chart them out and like make a little graph that shows uh, which uh, uh, epistles he wrote at different points in his missionary journeys. And uh, But I've always kind of had this big picture view of Paul's missionary journeys. Like he traveled to a bunch of places and preached the gospel and some people liked him and then other people didn't like him. And he was like shipwrecked a bunch of times. Uh, and, and he just racked up the conversion count and it was awesome. Uh, but, but that's, that's not really all. Like as I've been uh, spending more time like like studying through and thinking through, because when I'm when I'm preaching, it's different. Like you have to read the same passage over and over again, and I try and put myself in Paul's shoes and think through what's he going through and what's he what's he really doing. I realized that that the whole preaching the gospel to different people in different cities is only like half of what Paul is doing through these missionary journeys. Really, the the bulk, a lot of what he's doing, is more than just preaching the gospel and seeing people saved, he is planting and building and strengthening churches. That is so much of what Paul's ministry was about, serving and strengthening these different churches because uh, everywhere he went, where people came to faith in Jesus, they began to gather together like like you do uh, and create these little communities of Christ called churches. And all of those churches needed someone to shepherd and to protect and to guard and to help guide them. And Paul, man, Paul loved the church. He fought for the church. And he defended the church. And he cried over the church. And he suffered for the church. And I think the reason why Paul loved the church so much is because he understood that the church is the body of Christ. That it is the bride of Christ. And, and Paul deeply loved Jesus. N- near the end of, of his uh, final missionary journey, as he's saying goodbye to uh, the people who were gathered at the church at Ephesus, one of his favorites. I, you don't have favorite churches, but if, if you did, this might be one of Paul's favorites. He says this to them. He says, guys, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. Oh, you think Paul had a high view of the church? You are a group of people that Jesus has purchased with His own blood. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says, when I leave, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be attack from the outside. And there's going to be attack from the inside. Be on guard. Be careful. He says, therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Oh, man, there's so much love for these people. So much, so much sacrifice that Paul has made for the church. I mean, so much emotion and heart has gone into building it. Again, he, Paul loves the church because he loves Jesus. I think those two things go hand in hand. I don't think you can say, well, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. That's, that's his body. That's his bride. I think our love for the church is directly proportional to our love for Jesus Christ. And Paul here issues uh, both warnings and encouragements. And he does that uh, all throughout the, the letters that he writes to these different churches. And, and when we see some of the things that Paul had to go through himself as he was planting and establishing and building those churches, it's understandable why he would issue warnings and cautions as well as, as encouragement. Here in chapter 14 is where, where we're picking up and we, we see in this chapter here all kinds of dangers that the church has faced and, and we see Paul helping to strengthen and encourage it. Here in chapter 14, uh, we're, we're picking it up where we left off last week right in the middle of Paul's first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark have left from, from Antioch uh, over in Syria and have gone to the island of, of Cyprus and hiked all the way around the island, saw pretty limited results there, and then took a boat over uh, to this area of Galatia. John Mark said, I don't, this isn't fun anymore. And he, he split, abandons them and leaves Barnabas and Paul to do the work on their own. In Galatia, they, they go to a city called uh, Pisidian Antioch. And see a wave of Gentiles get saved there. But it says the Jews there were filled with jealousy and tried to refute what Paul was teaching. So they leave that city and head for the city of Iconium. F follow along in chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. It says, In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who is testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So, so here 
uh, in the city of Iconium, they face one of their greatest reoccurring threats. And that is this spirit of competition and jealousy. Over and over again in the Bible, it talks about how, how the Jews felt this jealousy towards the Christians. And it seems like a lot of the times the, the jealousy, the frustration came from the fact that Christianity was successful and it was growing and it was gaining traction and the Jews didn't like that. They didn't want to have to compete for the love and devotion of the people. The Jews were the ones who were in charge. They were the ones who were the, the spiritual leaders and the, and the spiritual elite and they were God's people. How dare those Jesus followers try and, and lure people away? But here's a question. What's the difference between the God of the Jews and the God of the Christians? Nothing. There's no, it's the same God. And that's really most of what, what Peter and Paul and the other apostles try and teach over and over again. They try and explain to their Jewish brothers and sisters, guys, all the promises that God has made to us all back there in the Old Testament. He kept them. He meant it. God kept His Word and has sent us a Messiah. And it's Jesus. This is awesome. Like, Don't you see how awesome this is? Peter and Paul, they're not trying to compete with the Jews. They're trying to show them what God had done for them. They're trying to encourage them and, and help them. But, but things, things are weird at this time, right? There's all this like political power and control that was wrapped up with their, with the, the Jewish leaders and, and they had all this like religious power and control and, and to place their faith in Jesus would cost them more than they were willing to give. And you, and you couple that with their sense of, of righteous anger at what they considered to be an attack on their belief system. And it leads to all kinds of murderous hatred on the part of the, the Jews. All this, this spirit of, of competition and attack. I, th- I think to, to some extent, to a lesser degree, that same spirit of competition is still something that's a danger to the church today. And it can be easy for different churches, especially in the same area, to feel like they're in competition with each other. Like we have to compete for people and for resources and for influence. I, I am super grateful that here in Woodland, amongst the different churches that exist here, there is this spirit of cooperation. And I know that that's something that's not necessarily the case everywhere, but the pastors here in this town, we all know each other. We all hang out together. We all like each other. We all talk. We had lunch just a couple weeks ago. When, when a member of this church goes somewhere else, they call me. And when someone comes here, I call them and we talk and we, we, Encourage and help and share resources. And uh, a few years ago, there was a, a guy who came to town wanting to plant a brand new church here in Woodland. And and s- some of the pastors thought that well maybe 
there's already enough churches in Woodland. There's like a million churches in Woodland. Do we really need another church in Woodland? Uh, but then when you look at the demographics of Woodland, right, there's, there's what, 50, 60,000 people in this town. And out of that, how many of them go to church? Like maybe a thousand? Uh, we need way more churches. We need a ton of churches. Each unique gathering of believers has an important purpose and contribution to the overall kingdom of God. And each is important and special to God. And we are not in competition with other churches. We are all on the same mission, serving the same Master, united in the same mindset of worship. Okay, so uh, things start heating up in uh, Iconium there. Uh, Jews want to kill him. And so Paul and Barnabas say, we, we gotta, we gotta split. Let's leave this place. They head to the more rural country areas of, of Lystra and Derby. Uh, look at, uh, chapter eight. Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, had seen that he had faith to be made well said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. He leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Peter had done, they raised their voice saying in the Laconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Okay. Uh, Apparently there was this old legend in this particular area that Zeus and Hermes at one point, way back long time ago, came to earth, took on human form, came to visit, and everybody rejected them. Nobody wanted to hang out with them except this one old couple took them into their house and made them dinner and, and, and fed them and was nice to them. And that old couple got like this sweet big house and everybody else got toasted. And so when Paul comes and heals this guy, does an obvious miracle... They're like, oh, they're back. Let's be nice to them this time <laughs> so that we don't get toasted. And, and so they, they, they want to come and, and offer sacrifices to Paul and to Barnabas. And they say, no, they're horrified. No, we're just men. We're just regular people. We're trying to point you to the real God. Another threat that the church faces is this tendency that people have to want to worship Things or other people. Sometimes known as a cult of personality. Which means uh, inappropriately idolizing leaders. Now here, uh, this is an extreme version where they, they actually think they're gods and want to worship them. Uh, and, and the result here is disastrous. It takes the focus off of the, of the real God, which is why Paul tries to point their attention back where it belongs, places too much devotion in the hands of humans. It breeds all kinds of weirdness. This, this same kind of thing, though, happens in a milder form over in the church in Corinth. Some people were saying, I follow Paul. Others were saying, I follow Apollos. Other, I follow Peter. And these little, these little cult followings start to spring up and, 
Peter, Peter had walked with Jesus and, and done some amazing things and was loved by Jesus. That's the guy that I want to hang out. That's, that's who I'm going to follow. Apollos, Apollos is classy and refined and stylish and cool. I want to hang out with the cool pastor. That's who I'm going to spend my time with. And, and Paul, Paul, yeah, he's grizzled looking, I know, but he's, he's fought for us and he, he's, he cares for us. I, I want to, I want to hang out with the fighter. So Paul is quick to squash that kind of thinking. He said, who, who, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We are nothing. Paul explains that, that we just planted and watered. We just did what God called us to do. God's the one that did all the work. God's the one that gets all the credit. We're just these crude tools that God has used for His glory. Don't praise us. Praise God. Now today, we have the access to so much media that we could listen to whatever celebrity pastor we want to listen to. And there are so many good ones out there. I know I have them that I enjoy listening to. I love listening to Alistair Begg. He's one of my favorites. I don't know. You guys know who that is? Go download the uh, the Truth For Life app. Make sure that's on your phone. You can listen to his sermons. He has this cool Scottish accent that's just awesome. And I could listen to him preach just through the phone book and it would be awesome. I, it's good. Uh, anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, pastor worship. That's right. Um, it's bad. But Alistair Begg would be the first to say, I'm just a guy. Like, I'm, I'm flawed. Uh, I'm nowhere near perfect. Uh, he would be the first to encourage us to, to not take his word for anything, but to go and search out the scriptures and see for yourself. The word of God is what is trustworthy and inerrant. Uh, I say dumb things all the time. I'm not trustworthy or inerrant. Over in Acts 17, we'll get introduced to the Bereans. And it says that they received the message of Paul with great eagerness. Super excited to hear what Paul had to say about Jesus as the Messiah. And then they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what he was saying was true. They checked his work. We aren't supposed to, to, to venerate any teacher or pastor or human leader because uh, we're all flawed. Uh, take what I have to say and then go examine the Scriptures for yourself. I, I, I think it's, it's kind of human nature for us, though, to be, to be drawn to preachers and teachers that we respect and who are caring and, and who are good looking and who are charismatic. I totally get that. <laughs> like, uh, but we got to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Oh, it seems like Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul's luck is changing though, right? In one place, they want to, they want to kill him. Now in this place, they want to worship him. It'd be nice if there was like a, like a middle, like a happy medium, like, they believe Jesus and then they give high fives. That would be, that'd be fine. You could just do that. But unfortunately, this, this desire to worship them doesn't last for very long. Cause it turns out that when people think that you're a God and then they find out that you're not a God, it kind of makes them grumpy. Uh, so look at verse uh, 19 in chapter 14. But the Jews came from Antioch and I- Iconium having won over the crowds. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead. While the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. 
wow. <laughs> okay, well, that, that escalated quickly, right? Uh, that got out of hand. So these jealous Jews from Iconium come over to Lystra. They rally up a mob against Paul. And, and he's not able to escape this time. They succeed in stoning him, which means they pick up as big a rock as they can lift and smash him with it until there's nothing left but just this bloody, broken, lifeless lump. And when he looks pretty dead, they grab his limp body and drag him outside of town because that's where you keep the, the trash heap is outside of town and dump him there. And it's, it's like it's a gory, sad, ugly scene but then it turns like almost comical, right? Like the Barnabas and the other apostles are standing around trying to figure out, right, now what do we do? Like, and Paul, like his eyes pop open and he hops up and dusts himself off and then walks back into the town that just tried to kill him. That's crazy. Like that's grizzled. That's, that is tough. Uh, I, can't, I can't help but think of what Paul would think of that cutesy little bumper sticker that says, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think he might change that to, uh, God's still there, even in the midst of things that you can't handle. Over in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives a list of the things that he had to handle as he was helping to plant churches. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Uh, once I was stoned. Yeah, we just read about that. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep, bobbing around in the ocean. Uh, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from, from such external things, those are just the, like the physical things I've had to deal with. Aside from that, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Not only do I have to deal with all these physical hardships, but I have to deal with this, this passion, this love, this concern that I have for all of these churches that I planted. Paul faces a life that is full of enemy attacks. And, and he understands more than anybody that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. When Peter said, Jesus, You are the the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, yes, right answer. And Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I think implied with that though is that the gates of hell are going to try to overcome it. And, and, and Paul knows. Paul knows firsthand the kinds of attack the kinds of danger that the church is going to face. He knew the kinds of persecution that the church would be under. and he, he knew that they would have to sacrifice for their devotion to Jesus. 
And he knew that the, ta- the, the churches in each of the towns that he visited needed to be encouraged to keep going and strengthened. Again, that's the reason why he writes like this letter to the Galatians and his letter to the Ephesians and his letter to the Philippians to encourage them and to strengthen them. At the end of chapter 14, uh, Paul and Barnabas have gone in like this big C shape. So they, they went from Antioch over to the island of Cyprus and then up to that area of like uh, Pisidian Antioch and, and then Lystra and Derby and Iconium. And, and if they would have just kept going and kind of finished the circle, they would have hit Tarsus before too long, which is uh, Paul's hometown, right? Paul of Tarsus. And then just a little bit past that, they would have gotten back to their starting point. But instead, they go backwards the other way and go back through all of those regions that they had originally traveled through. Why would you do that? Like, why would you go backwards and go the other way? Like, especially through these places that tried to kill you. Why would you do that? I think the reason that they did it was because there were churches there that needed him. Paul knew that there were gatherings of believers that needed his encouragement, that that it, it would be stronger if it came through his presence rather than just through a letter. And so he goes backwards to visit these churches again. Look at Acts chapter 14, verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned back to Lystra and Iconium to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here we have kind of like the the Reader's Digest condensed version of Paul's system of strengthening and encouraging the church. It says that he strengthened the souls of the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. And in part, this was reminding them that hardships and trials were normal and to be expected. It also involves reminding them of their hope and their joy in the Lord. It it involves reminding them about Jesus Christ as their Savior, as the one who's forgiven all their sins. It it means reminding them of the truth of the Gospel and encouraging them to hold on to that and never let it go. Our, Our strength as a church and as individual Christians is found in the Gospel. It is our faith in Jesus Christ and our commitment to share that faith with everyone. It is this hope that we have in this awesome, amazing, sovereign God. If we lose that faith, if we lose our faith in God, if we lose our hope in salvation, if we abandon that that truth for a lie, we're doomed. Back in Paul's day and and today also, there are countless things that will try and drag us away from the faith. 
I mean, you feel it. Every day we feel these things that try and pull us further away from our God. All kinds of sin that wants to entangle us and pull us down. All kinds of selfish desires that want to lure us away. All sorts of ideas that exist out there in the world that compete for our attention and devotion. Let me encourage you, remain faithful to the truth of the Gospel that you've heard and believed. I'll keep on encouraging you every single week to be faithful by proclaiming the truth in the Word of God. Next it says that Paul also appointed elders from them in every church. And Paul understood that a strong church needs uh, godly leadership. It needs people to, to help hold the line. And this a process of appointing elders at each church was something that, that Paul saw as crucial. Paul, Paul writes to, to Titus over in Titus 1. He says, For this reason, Titus, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So clearly it was a part of Paul's operating procedures. And then he, then he goes on to explain what that means by uh, an, an elder. He says, namely, if any man is above reproach, husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful Word which is in accordance with the teaching so that we will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Paul says, I want you to select people who will be an example, but then who will hold fast to Scripture, who will hold it out, who, who will make sure that we're not deviating from it. And Paul gives like an extended version of the guidelines for leadership over in 1 Timothy. And there's not necessarily one right way to structure the government of a church, but it's clear that it's important to have godly leadership and people who are responsible to protect the flock and hold fast the Word. And finally, the last thing Paul does to help strengthen the church is he prays. Praise like crazy. Says, says with prayer and fasting, committed the believers to the Lord. So along with holding fast to the faith and having good leadership, a strong church will be one that is a praying church. Every week there's, there's a little prayer guide in your bulletin. Every single week Jim comes up and, and spends time praying through those things. Not just because like it's important for us to be praying for each other, but also Jim helps to model for us what prayer looks like, how we should do it. Every Sunday at about 8.30, like right here in this room, there's a group of people that gathers together to pray for the church service, for you guys and for the worship team and for me and for the Spirit of God to be present here. Every week is... My family drives to church. We spend a little bit of time praying for church services in the morning. Every Sunday right before I walk up here, I say a little prayer. 
usually during the last song, sorry Tom, uh, and pray that God would help me to have the words to say and that I would say the right things and not say the wrong things. And I think that's a good start. But just like in our own personal lives, there's lots of room for more prayer. Because our health and our hope and our strength, it comes from our awesome God. Not, not from ourselves, not from our strategies or our, our systems, but from our complete and total dependence on Jesus Christ. We need to hold fast to the faith. And we need to pray fervently for God to strengthen and protect us as His church. And then we need to pray that we would be effective at spreading that Gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. God, I thank You again so much, Lord, for Your Word and the hope and the encouragement and the strength that it brings to us. Lord, when we look at the sacrifices that were made by Jesus Christ purchasing the church with His own blood, where we recognize that the church is something that is important and loved by You. Lord, when we look at the sacrifices that Paul himself made as, as he was constantly abused and tortured and beaten and stoned. Lord, help us to have that same heart of love and compassion and for, the, for the church, Lord. I pray, dear God, that You would strengthen us so that we could accomplish the mission that You have sent us on, which is to continue to hold fast to the Word of truth and to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ until He returns. Oh, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen.